Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. You did it. Congratulations. Look at your neighbor and say, you did it. Look at your other neighbor and say, you are the cat's meow. You did it. There is a verse from the New Testament. Oftentimes we use this verse in funerals. But it feels very fitting for this moment. And it's found in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. There are times reading through the book of Daniel has felt like a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like we fighting powers and principalities of this dark world. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, by the time you get to week 10, you have to pinch yourself just to stay awake during church. Matt talks about don't sleep in that room. That was a thing. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, God is proud of you. I'm proud of you. We have done it. We have worked our way through one of the hardest books of the Bible and all that is encompassed in that. And so I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is today, if you're a guest with us, you won't, I don't think you'll be that lost because I'm going to kind of do a summary of everything we've walked through over the last 11 weeks is the bad news is all that 11 weeks, I'm going to wrap it up into one. You know what I'm saying? You're like, I had to come all that time just for this. No, it's good. We're glad that you're here. So Daniel chapter 11 is where we're going to turn to here in just a second. Man, I hope all of you and your families have an incredible Thanksgiving holiday. Kellogg's, we do it a little bit different. And so we actually have our Kellogg Thanksgiving family meal at our deer cabin. Like, it's just a thing. you got to go over the river and through the woods and up the mountain. It takes about 40 minutes by Jeep just to get up there. And so um, y'all pray for Miss Jerry. It's not really her favorite holiday. I mean, she loves Thanksgiving, but when there's no running water, no flushing toilets, you got to be up there for a couple hours. You just do that math. You know what I'm saying? She, I know the look. On Thanksgiving Day when she ready, and she ready to go down the mountain, and so we just go down the mountain. No, we have an incredible time, and I hope you, whatever your Thanksgiving tradition is, I hope you have a, uh, just a, a happy Thanksgiving. I, I just love this time of year and moving into the holiday season, and we got a lot of stuff going on from our kids' program to our Christmas Eve service. We'll be talking more and more about that. So I want to kind of take a moment, if you have been here through the book of Daniel, to just refresh you on some of the things that we've talked about, because we started this bad boy a long time ago. If you haven't been here, don't worry, because I think I'm going to share just enough of the stuff that will help put the bow on, on what we're going to kind of talk about today. And the first half of the book of Daniel really is not that hard. It's not, because it's a lot of history. It's the history about Daniel and his companions and his friends and the three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? And, and so the big takeaway from the book of Daniel is because you would have like King Nebuchadnezzar would have a dream and I'll, I'll talk about that dream here in just a second to remind you of it but he would have this vision and then Daniel would interpret it and, and the big takeaway from the first half of the book of Daniel is that God would speak through a dream or through a vision through someone and Daniel would interpret it and Daniel was pretty accurate Daniel was pretty accurate about prophesying that things that might happen 20, 40, 60 years in the future. And 20, 40, 60 years in the future, those things would come to pass. So that's what I want you to see. The first half of Daniel is setting up the credibility for when God spoke through his man Daniel, you could take it to the bank, it was going to happen. And that's what's really important about the first half of Daniel is it's building credibility that if God's going to give a prophecy through his boy, 
then you can take it to the bank that it's because even in the book of Daniel, we saw some of it happen. And then for you and I, as we look back on it, history proves that it happened. Daniel is a very accurate prophet. Okay, And some of you are like, oh, history. Listen, history is important. We don't learn from history. We will repeat history. You know what I'm saying? And so in this, um, um, in, through this process, there was a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's, he's early in the book. He was a Babylonian king. And he has some dreams and he has some visions. And what we find out about Daniel is that he has the ability to interpret. Like God had given him just this spiritual gift to interpret dreams. He had just this heavenly wisdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He brings all of his wise people in. He says, all right, I want you to tell me what the dream was, and I want you to tell me what it means. And nobody could do it. And matter of fact, the king says, all right, kill them all. Why am I feeding you? Why are you on the payroll? And Daniel goes, hold up. And Daniel walks in. He says, this was your dream, and this is what it means. And this was the dream that he had. He had this big statue of a dream, and it was made of different things. Like the head was made of gold, and the arms, the two arms and the chest were made of silver, and then the bronze was, or the, his sire is made of bronze, and then the legs were made of iron. Well, Daniel says, listen, this is what this means. Daniel didn't know the kingdoms it would represent, but he's like, this is what has happened, that, that there will be this kingdom, and then there'll be this kingdom, and then there'll be this kingdom. Well, when we look back on history, we see that head of gold was the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel says that, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head, you're the head of gold. But then those two arms, that would be the Medes and the Persians. And they got tired of Babylon bullying everybody else. And they would unite to make one kingdom and be known as the Medo-Persian kingdom. And eventually you would drop the Medo and it would just become the Persian kingdom. And that was the next. That would follow the head of gold. And then after that, the Greeks would come on the rise. And you see this throughout the book of, of Daniel that this is prophesied. And then after that, you would have... The Romans that were just the legs of iron. And then after the, after the legs of iron, there were the feet of iron and clay. And by the way, those are the kingdoms that still exist today. They're not necessarily kingdoms, but it's the east and the west. And that's really how the world is divided today. You have western allied countries, which is us and Canada and Great Britain. But then you have the eastern allied countries, which is the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. Not the Roman Empire, but the, the Russian Empire. Okay, And so Daniel prophesied this this statue, and, and he says, King, this is what all this means. And then we leave the historical part of Daniel, and we move into the really hard part of Daniel. Like when I'm reading through the book of Daniel, I, I greatly enjoy the first six chapters. But then it gets into the second half, and the second half is really, really hard. That's why I say I'm proud of you. Like some of you, you've been here every week. You just keep coming back. You just keep, you're just a glutton for punishment. You just keep coming back. And it's really hard because now Daniel is having dreams and visions, and, and if you remember from the first half of the book of Daniel, Daniel was the dream interpreter. But these dreams and visions that he's having are so big and vast and overwhelming. Sometimes he even said, I could take my breath away the things that he was seeing. And then he would just pray and ask God for help. He would go into this time of mourning or he would fast and pray. And sometimes the meaning to those visions were so important that the enemy would get involved. Like Satan's like, I don't want Daniel knowing that. And we talked about this last week. We kind of got into some spiritual warfare. Literally, Satan and those fallen angels that we call demons, they literally would try to stop God from sending the message to Daniel as to what those mean. It was a little bit weird, but I think you and I as Christians ought to realize 
There is a spiritual dimension that goes on that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And you see that played out in the book of Daniel. All right? And that message finally made it. It was so important that the good guys finally won. There were two angels, and they kind of overtook the bad guy. And so finally the message got to Daniel. And it was so important that it is the last two chapters to the book of Daniel. It's kind of the final revelation, if you will, about the book of Daniel. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. One other thing that we've learned through the book of Daniel is that there, so prophecies a lot of times can have two fulfillments. When I was a kid, I watched Sesame Street. Some of y'all remember this? Grover? Near. Far. Prophecies are the same way. Sometimes there is a near fulfillment, meaning the people that that message is given to, that sometimes that prophecy will be fulfilled in their lifetime or that is near to the giving of that prophecy. But sometimes that prophecy and that fulfillment is an example of bigger things to come. It's an example of what all of world and all of history can be looking for because there is a far prophecy to be fulfilled. So we talk about prophecies having dual fulfillment. Daniel has a lot of those. Some of them are rather famous. There's, that, there, that it meant something to the people that was there. Daniel saw it fulfilled. Or the people that lived in that time period saw it fulfilled. But yet we believe there is a dual, a second fulfillment that is to be had. If that makes sense, say amen. Alright, so Daniel chapter 2. And just like the whole book of Daniel, we got some work to do. I got a little bit of history. <laughs> it's fine. God loves history. You can too. Alright, so here we go. Daniel chapter 11. Verse 2, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Remember what's going on. Daniel had fasted and prayed. God sent this messenger, this angel messenger is now speaking to him. And he's getting ready to reveal this final vision. I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign. I don't, want, don't put the statue back but remember, that head of gold, that was the Persian. They were the first one. So he's saying, listen, there's going to be three more Persians, and then there will be a fourth that's going to be far richer than the others, and he will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. If you're a note taker, you want to take some extra notes, you can write this down. That fourth king, history tells us, is a guy by the name of Xerxes. Okay. You studied the Bible, that sounds familiar, because King Xerxes is one of the main characters of the book of Esther. Okay, so in the time of Esther, this prophecy would be fulfilled. King Xerxes, okay, verse 3. Then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority. He will accomplish everything he sets out to do. As a matter of fact, he will get bored because he's done everything he wants to do, as history would tell us. Verse 4, but at the height of its power, his kingdom was broken apart, divided into four parts, and it will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had, for its empire will be uprooted and given to others. We've talked about this. We've talked about this guy. So it's the second time that Daniel is seeing a prophecy about this specific character. If you were here several weeks ago, week nine of this study, we talked about a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Okay, He would bring the Greek empire on the scene. He would conquer the known world at the time. Matter of fact, he was young. They were fast. They could just do anything they wanted to do. The, um, the history tells us that the story goes that Alexander the Great actually wept because he had run out of places to conquer. 
Well, that sounds exactly like Daniel chapter verse 4. We're at the height of his power. But Alexander the Great had no heir to give his kingdom to. And so what he does is he takes his four top generals and he literally divides up the Greek empire. And he's like, I'm going to give you a part and you a part and you a part and you a part. We talked about this in week nine. In that vision, it was a unnamed beast that was kind of funky looking that had four horns. And, and we called those four horns. And, and the first horn was a guy by the name of Cassander. Okay? He took over what was basically Greece, Macedonia and Greece. Okay? And then the second horn, or, or the second general, if you would, would be Lysimachus. And he would take over Thrace and Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey and Bulgaria. He would take over that. And then there was a guy named Ptolemy. The P is silent. It's not Ptolemy. But it's Ptolemy, and he would take over what's basically Egypt, and his kingdom would reach into some of Asia Minor. And then the fourth one is a guy by the name of Seleucus. Okay? And so he would take on Syria, the Middle East of Israel, and, and what would history would call Mesopotamia. These last two, Ptolemy and Seleucus, are who we're going to spend a little bit of time on today because that's what Daniel 11 talks about there is actually a battle not between these two guys because they were allies but it really raged on between what would become their kingdoms or their empires the Seleucids and the Ptolemies okay so I'm going to stick a map up on the screen and you'll see the Seleucid empire really became the big one it, he he was really aggressive like his predecessor Alexander the Great and by landmass he moved and, and spread, and he, he really took over the mass amount of land. He wanted, he wanted Egypt. He wanted the Middle East. And so there was a 130-year battle that took place between these two empires. And I want you to see that red circle where, that ba where, where those battles took place. It's Israel. That's why it's important to Daniel is because God's prophecy to Daniel revolves around God's chosen people, the children of Israel. And that's why he would give him this vision and tell him about that. It's like, hey, prepare the children of Israel that for 130 years their land is just going to be caught up in war. It's not their fault. There's just going to be these kings. The king of the north, which would be the Seleucids. The king of the south, which would be Ptolemy. Their kingdoms are just going to fight and struggle. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, so verse 6. Some years later... An alliance will be formed between the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king of the south will be given in marriage to the king of the north, secure an alliance. But she will lose her influence over him, and so will her father. She will be abandoned along with her supporters. It's not a big deal. I just want you to know what happened. This took place. Okay, Antiochus II, who was from the northern kingdom, from the Seleucids, he actually married a girl by the name of Bernice. She was a daughter of Ptolemy II. Okay, well, that's what this just said, so that there'll be an alliance. Okay, but then it says that she will lose her influence and her father will lose his influence. Why? Is because her husband dies. When he dies, there comes a new ruler on the scene that doesn't honor the marriage, doesn't honor the treaty that was done through that. The reason this is important is because I want you to see that it was prophesied and history says it happened. Does that make sense? Verse 7. But when one of her relatives becomes king of the south, he will raise an army and enter the fortress of the king of the north and defeat him. When he returns to Egypt, he will carry back their idols with him, along with the priceless articles of gold and silver. For some years afterward, he will leave the king of the north alone. Later, the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but soon will return to his own land. Right? Again, it's not important. I just want you to know history tells us this happened. 
So after Bernice was embarrassed and abandoned and put away, her brothers ticked off. Okay? And so he wants revenge. So a guy named Ptolemy Third, he invades and literally humbles the Seleucid Empire. Again, it's not important. God is just trying to show you that Daniel was a really accurate prophet because he would say something is going to happen and you and I have the benefit of looking back on history and seeing, oh, well, Daniel chapter 11, verse 7, 8, and 9, that all happened. Okay? So we also talk about this idea of dual fulfillment, that there was prophecy that was given. It happened relatively near the given of the prophecy, but there would also be a second fulfillment. So what happened here is an example of what you can be looking for in the far. Okay? So I want to show you Daniel chapter 11. I want to show you one of those dual fulfillment prophecies. Are you still with me? Verse 31, so I'm going to skip a little bit. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Okay? Well, if you've studied the Gospels, that sounds familiar because Jesus actually uses this, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second. But what I want you to see in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, that he's going to set up this sacrilegious object in the temple. It's sacrilegious. It's desert. Like it is just, it is the most evil thing that you can do to the Jewish people. That happened by a guy by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. What he did was he set up a, a statue to Zeus in the Jewish temple. All right? Here's the catch. That happened 160 years before Jesus was ever born. It happened 160 B.C. Before Jesus was ever born, that sacrilegious object was set up in the temple. Okay? So, here's the issue. Jesus is teaching and guys are asking questions and they're saying, Jesus, what should we be looking for about the end of the time? Jesus, when you come back, what should we expect? And Jesus, to the crowd that is standing there, and the crowd that's standing there, they know Daniel. Most of them, if they're religious, had memorized the book of Daniel. They know what they're looking for in a Messiah. And to answer their question, Jesus quotes Daniel chapter 11. So let me show you. It's in Mark 13, but it's also in Matthew 24. This is Jesus saying, and he says, The day is coming when you will see what the Daniel the prophet spoke about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Well, that happened 160 years before Jesus was ever born. The crowd that day knows that. And what Jesus is saying is that prophecy has dual fulfillment. That prophecy was prophesied in the near, but there is coming a day that you and I as Christians and followers of Jesus need to be looking because that was just an example of what we should be looking for in the end times. Please tell me that makes sense by saying amen. Little fun fact. Sidebar, confusing, but it's free. In 40 AD, seven years, we believe Jesus came, did his ministry, ascended into heaven somewhere 33 AD-ish. So seven years later, in 40 AD, the Roman emperor Caligula tried to set up a statue of himself in the Jewish temple. Well, if Jesus had just said that seven, eight years ago, that, hey, they're going to set up a sacrilegious object, that's when you need to be looking out. 
And here all of a sudden a Roman emperor, Caligula, tries to do that. Don't you think the people that heard Jesus out of his own ears are like, this is it. This is it. But the fun fact is Caligula never got the, he never got it there. Like it never got set up in the Jewish temple. It got really close, but it never got there. All right? So Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. Then, at the end of time. So Daniel, I'm going to talk to you about some things that are going to happen in the Greeks, and they're going to fight over sisters, and they're going to embarrass each other. But then, Daniel, at the end of time, so he kind of leaps until the end of days. The king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, charioteers, and a vast navy. He will invade various lands and sweep through them like flood. He will enter the glorious land of Israel, and many nations will fall, but Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. What I want you to see is verse 40, then at the end of, or at the time of the end, all right? And everybody, take a deep breath, let it out. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I'm probably fixing to trigger what I call PTSD, it's post-traumatic slide disorder, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm going to put that slide, that's that big eighth grade math problem, oh, I got to do math, right? Okay, so there's a 490-year period in history that Daniel prophesied about. And Josh, I've always wanted to put a watch in that watch pocket. Make me bougie. You know what I'm saying? Got my little watch pocket right there. If you were here, you remember this. Because there was a prophecy that said, listen, this 490 years is going to be cut out of history. And this is what you're watching. When, when this happens, when this happens, I want you to start the watch. And what was it that said when the temple would be decreed to be rebuilt? Well, that happened in Nehemiah chapter 2. Okay? And so it says there's seven sets of seven, roughly 49 years. It took about 49 years to rebuild all of Jerusalem. Not just the temple, not just the wall, but it took 49 years for the city to be up and running again. And then that would move into 62 sets of seven, which is basically 434 years. And if you're here, we showed you the exact math to the exact day. From this point right here in Nehemiah chapter 2 where the clock was started until you get all the way over to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 tells the story where Jesus is riding on this donkey. He crests over the Mount of Olives. He sees all of Jerusalem. And then his followers with palm branches lay their coats in the road. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, punched the wrong button. The stopwatch stopped. That was to the day, 173,880 days. It was seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven to the day. The problem is one more set of seven. So the clock has been stopped. There's one more set of seven. And so today I want to start the clock. What, what are we looking for to get the clock moving again? How do we get into that next set of seven? Because we're just suspended. Waiting for Jesus to bring about this end of time. So what starts the clock? Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 said that the ruler will make a treaty with the people. Keep in mind, this book was not written to the United States of America. It was written to the people of Daniel. So it's assumed like that there will be a treaty made with the people of Israel for a period of one set of seven. There's our missing seven years. So that treaty is what starts the clock again. 
okay? But then he says, but after half this time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices. So we've got this one more set of seven that will start. There will be this time of peace. A treaty will be made with Israel for the first three and a half years. There's going to be peace. The, the guy that makes the treaty is going to be cool and charming, going to talk about him. I think Israel is going to have great prosperity. But after three and a half years, he's going to break that deal. And then he's just going to kind of rain down terror on the children of Israel. Okay? So I want to hit pause on the book of Daniel for, for just a minute. We're going to come back to 12 in just a second. But I want to talk about this last seven years, if you'll, if you'll allow me. I want to give you my thoughts, and that's all they are. They're my thoughts on what this last seven years will look like. Because here's the deal. There's 5,743 theories on what the end of days plays out. Okay? And so, I, first of all, at Hill Spring, we just don't fight about it. We just don't. So if you're going to come, preacher, I don't know about that. I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I'm just, don't even, I'm like, I'm just telling you, when I read scripture, and I've studied scripture, I've studied it times, this is the things that I think have to happen. These are the things that I think are yet still to happen. So I want to talk about this one last set of seven, and then we're going to kind of put a bow on it, all right? It doesn't start the clock. We're still suspended, all right? But there's something that I think needs to happen, and it's the term. This, this word is not in the Bible. It's a church term we use. And there's a thing that needs to happen called the rapture. And if you took a handout today, you're going to notice I didn't give you blanks to fill in. I gave you a timeline to fill out. That timeline is basically this one set of seven. It's seven years. Okay? And some of you may agree with the rapture. Some of you may not agree with the rapture. It, it, it's okay. You don't get into heaven based on what you think about in time events. You get on into heaven based on the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ and the bloody cross and the empty tomb. Somebody ought to say amen. Because that's one thing I can understand today. Ain't no math problem involved in that. Okay? So let me show you where we get this idea. Because the word, like if you get on social media, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Gotcha. Let me show you the idea of the rapture is in the Bible. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the Greek city of Thessalonica. And he wrote two of them, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. It's very ingenious in his later ones, right? Both of those books deal with end times. So the Thessalonians, for some reason, were intrigued about end times because they were always asking, what are we watching for? What are we looking for? What are we looking for? So in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, don't you remember what I told you about when I was there? Paul, I wasn't there. I don't remember what you, I don't, I wish you, I wish you would have just gone ahead and spelled that out because we don't. Don't you remember what I told you when I was there? You know, you know what's holding him back. Who's him? He's going to describe him as the man of lawlessness. I believe that to be the Antichrist. What Daniel refers to as the little horn. You, you know, you know what's holding him back for he can be revealed only when his time comes for this lawless is already secretly or worked secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding him back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawless will be revealed. That the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. Somebody ought to say amen. Making sure you're with me. Listen, we don't argue. We don't know. Paul says, you know, we don't know. Like, you know, remember when I told you? Well, I wish he would have said, hey, do you remember what I told you when I was there that X, Y, and Z? But he just says, you remember what we talked about? I'm just telling you. Okay? But there's something that is holding back this man of lawlessness. And I'm going to tell you what I think that something is. I could absolutely be wrong. I was wrong once in 1995. 
I'm going to give you what I call the BKV, the Branch Kellogg Version, the BKV. I think what is holding back the man of lawlessness is you. He knows my wife too. Well, I'm telling you, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not that. It's not, it's not that. It's the church. It's us. I believe that it's the presence of the body of Christ is what's holding the Antichrist back at bay. Okay, I don't want to talk about who's included in that and well, what denomination. And, and I, I, that's not the point of this. But if you just with a quick Google search, there's an estimated 2.2 billion Christians. Oh, that's high. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you. But I'm saying there's a lot of people that are walking and talking on the earth today that are born again Christians. And so if you just, there's an estimated 2.2 billion Christians. If you take 2.2 billion people out of this world, it's going to get pretty ugly. It's going to turn into a wicked party. Sin is going to run rampant. Paul makes that point. Jesus, oh, now that all those judgy people are gone, we can love who we want. We can do what we want. Let me tell you what, Jesus, Jesus says this. He's talking about those days. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. God said, or Jesus said this, you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor. When you take the Christians out, there's no loving God and there's certainly no loving their neighbor. Those biblical principles are gone. The biblical moral values have been the basis for standard of human behavior for the majority of the world for about 1,500 years. Now, the biblical standard, that was the basis for the Jews, since really, since the beginning. But for the bulk of the world, really about 1,500 years ago, the Bible began to spread and the teachings of Jesus began to spread. So for about 1,500 years, this biblical moral standard has been the human standard of behavior for a long time. When you take that away, when you take the biblical moral standard out of this earth, immorality is going to be celebrated. Just live however you want to. Those judgy people are all gone. And I believe that it is the church that is holding back the Antichrist. And when you take 2.2 billion Christians out of this world, they're going to have a party, and I don't want to be here. Let me show you something, okay? So I think that the word I used was rapture. I don't think that is Jesus' second coming. Okay, some people get confused in that. I don't. I think it's literally just... Jesus coming to get his bride, the church. And let me tell you why I think that. It's the other letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Okay? So really what it's going to be, it's going to be an archangel that speaks. But to you and I, it's going to sound like... Like we're just, it's going to blast like a trumpet. And then he says this, okay? First, for the believers who have died, they will rise from their grave. Even though their body is dead, gone, decayed, it might be dust and ashes. It might be at the bottom of the sea. It might have been cremated. It doesn't matter. Something supernatural is going to take place in that moment. Those dust and ashes are going to reform into their physical body, and it's going to rise up out. And like it's not going to be creepy, weird, like a Halloween movie. They're just going to be brought back to life in Christ. Now, there's spirits in the heaven, but this physical body, it, it's on its, I'm coming. It's on its way up there. And then it says this, then together with them, 
We who are still alive pause. Paul thought he was going to be alive when Jesus came back. Paul thought he was, every generation has thought they were going to be alive when Jesus came back. Then, together with them who are still alive, we remain on earth. We will be, everybody say it with me, caught up. There's going to be this caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the basement. That ain't what it says. Where do we meet Jesus? In the air. So he never gets back here. His foot doesn't come back to the Mount of Olives. He only comes down out of heaven to the clouds. And the dead in Christ shall rise. And those who are alive, we will meet him in the air. Voila, there's your rapture. See you next week. No, I'm just going to hold that. Now, I'm probably splitting hairs here, okay? But I don't think he comes all the way down. I think we're just going to meet him in the air. All right, so this last step of seven. Again, it hasn't happened, and it may not happen just like this, but this is kind of how I put the pieces of the puzzle together. I think the first thing that will happen, and it doesn't start this, but the first thing that will happen will be the Antichrist is allowed to come on the scene because the church is taken out. Okay? When, when you take 30% of the world's population, but let's just do the United States. I mean, the number suggests that 70% of Americans identify as Christians. I don't know if that's high, low. Let's just say 60%. Let's, let's 50%. Let's say a half of the United States is gone in the twinkling of an eye. That's a really big deal. I think that is going to be such a catastrophic event because husbands are going to be left and wives are going to be gone. And children are going to be left and parents are going to be gone. And co-workers, I mean, it's just going to be mass chaos. And you know what? If you're in Christ, it ain't going to be your problem. <laughs> Good luck with all that. Because we're going to be gone. And when you take all of those people out, it is going to create worldwide political upheaval. And it's going to create this scene for this person to come out. And he's not going to have horns. He's not going to have a pitchfork. He's going to be good looking. He's going to be persuasive. You know what I'm saying? He's going to step out. And, and, and you're not going to have to think, oh no. What if I accidentally like the Antichrist? I don't think you're going to have to worry about it because you ain't going to be here. Okay? I think the church is out of his way. So this rapture gets the church out of the way, creating a political scene where one person come on the scene and bring peace and calm. I also think in that time that thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews are going to get saved. Because they're going to hear that. And they're going to go, Jesus was real. And I think not only Jews, but I think a lot of people who had their opportunity, I think people are going to get saved in that time. Because there's still going to be YouTube videos, Hillspring.tv still going to be around. People can go read these old messages if they want to. Ain't going to be nobody here to update it because we all gone. But I think a lot of people are going to get saved. But you create this political upheaval and then the Antichrist comes on the scene. And then now what Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 talks about, he will make a treaty. That's what starts the clock ticking. That's what starts the clock ticking, is that seven-year agreement, that one more sets of sevens. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after three and a half years, after half that time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings, 
And as a climax, all the terrible deeds, he will set up sacrilegious objects that cause desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. The good guys win. Can I get an amen? So there's going to be three and a half years of peace. The world will be rebuilding. I believe a lot of the world will be celebrating. Finally, the church, finally all them Christians. Okay? But halfway through that three and a half years, it talks about this guy's going to turn bad. Okay? But things go really well. And one of the things that I think that this, this treaty revolves around, it's not just a peace treaty. I think in the deal of this priest treaty is a piece of land that resides in Jerusalem. Today it's called the Dome of the Rock. And what's significant about the Dome of the Rock is that is the old temple site. The Jews do not have control of it. The Christians don't have control of it. The Muslims do. And that's weird. That a Jewish predominant city, that the Muslims have control of something like that. And so I think that seven-year covenant is going to be, okay, you know what, you, you guys, you can, have your, you can have the Dome of the Rock back, you can have that temple back, and, and I think they might start construction. We, we, we have to have a temple, but we don't have to have the temple for the church to be gone. Nothing else, nothing else has to happen for us to hear. Okay? And this is what you need to know. The money is sitting in the bank. It has been raised to rebuild the temple. Okay? They have trained the priest. The Sanhedrin has been reborn. There are priests in Jerusalem to the day that are trained and know how to resume animal sacrifice once they get that temple rebuilt. Okay? They will, they will stand up against the Muslims. And I think what they're waiting for is the political climate in Israel till finally a leader will come up and say, this is ours, pack your bags, we're taking this back over, and I believe the Jews will regain possession of the Dome of the Rock. They're just waiting for the political climate to be able to do that, okay? Side note, they've had some pretty interesting, significant elections of late, and one of the big political platforms, are you pro-temple? That's one of their things. Okay, and so there's been some people that have been reelected that are really strong on the on the Jews, the Israel people taking back control of that. And here's the deal: it took Solomon decades to build his temple, not with technology today. Temple construction today, literally, they could sign that peace treaty. The money's there; they have everything they need. They could literally have a temple construction in six to eight months, and resuming sacrifice that fast. Okay. So I think for three and a half years, Israel's going to flourish. I think because of the rapture, thousands of Jews are going to get saved. I believe there's going to be a revival. People who weren't even Jewish, but maybe they had family, moms and dads and siblings that were Christian. I think a lot of people are going to turn to know Christ. Okay? Verse 27, then it says, but after half of this time, the Antichrist is going to turn into a bad dude. He's going to set himself up. He's going to set an idol of himself up in the Jewish temple. Okay? And so that's a big sign. Jesus talked about it. And he's talking about those days, and he says, listen, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Listen, if you take 30% of the world's population out, that's a very significant event. Everybody is going to be paying attention. And the gospel, through what the church has done, the legacy the church will leave through the recordings and the teachings and the books and the preaching and the Bible, the gospel is going to be heard around the globe. And everybody's now paying attention because that rapture thing, that got real, real fast. Amen? Verse 15, the day is coming when you will see 
What Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And then he adds this. This is Matthew says, reader, pay attention. Reader, pay attention. Okay. We've already talked about this, but in week nine, we talked about this guy called Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And he fulfilled that prophecy 164 years before Jesus was ever born. He set up that idol of Zeus in the temple. But if you remember, Jesus grabbed that prophecy and he brought it back into play, giving that prophecy a dual fulfillment. It had a near fulfillment, but was also a far fulfillment. Antiochus was just a foreshadow of what the real Antichrist was going to look like. Here's an example. At the end of times, you're going to need, and when a guy looks like this and he does these things, that's what you're going to be looking for. Okay? And there's one other thing. There is going to be a battle that takes place in the Valley of Megiddo. And I don't want to get too deep into this. Revelation talks about it, not Daniel. Okay? But it's what we know as Armageddon. You know what I'm saying? We got movies named that. Like when you want to be big, bad, and tough, you're Armageddon, right? So there's a battle that takes place in the Valley of Megiddo. What's interesting about the Valley of Megiddo, two major Israeli highways intersect right in the Valley of Megiddo. So there's going to be this just massive armies that are going to, and it's just this big plane. There's going to be a battle there. When that takes place, I believe is when Jesus comes back. It's not the rapture. I believe that's when Jesus comes back. He's going to do business with the Antichrist. He's going to do business with Satan. And all of his evil minions are going to be dealt with. Okay? And the book of Revelation, not Daniel, talks about there will be a time where there is a new heaven and a new earth. Where the word is regenerated. Like this whole earth, it's just going to reboot, start all over. And I think the way that Adam and Eve walked in the garden and they knew God intimately. I think you and I are going to go back to a time like that. Now, I don't think we're going to be nudist. I don't think we're walking around in the naked. Let's just give the Lord a good praise for that. You know what I'm saying? But you and I are going to have that kind of access. You'll be able to go to the throne room. Jesus, how you doing today? And there's no evil. There's no sin. There's no consequence of sin. There's no pain, no grief, no sorrow, no cancer, no sickness. Somebody ought to get excited. Because Paul said, you need to encourage yourself with these words. Can I get an amen? Let me close that bad boy with this. Twelve weeks. Twelve weeks we've walked through the book of Daniel. And, and this is what this messenger, he says to Daniel. He says this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. He said, Daniel, go. Go now, Daniel. Verse 13. As for you, Daniel. I know I've just showed you this big old crazy vision. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. But as for you, Daniel, go your way. Until the end. You're going to rest. And then at the end of days, you're going to rise again. You're going to receive the glorious inheritance that's set before you. Don't get caught up, Daniel. I know I showed you a lot. And I know it's easy to sit around and go, ooh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. What if, I, what if I like the Antichrist? What if I take the mark of the beast? It's going to be bad. Listen, Daniel, don't, don't get caught up in that. Go your way. And we talked about Daniel a couple weeks ago. I took the time, and I did it on purpose, to set up the biblical characteristics, how the Bible describes Daniel as a person. Remember that? We talked about Daniel was a man of prayer. We talked he was a man of learning. Daniel was a man of discernment. Man was a man of wisdom. He was a man of fasting. We walked through all of those characteristics. Go 
your way, Daniel. All these things, Daniel, you and I need to do just like, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of the word. We need to be people of learning. We need to be people of discernment and wisdom. Go your way, Josh. Go your way, Kelly. Go your way. Go in the ways of the Lord. Here's the big question. Every time I talk about the end times, like, are we living in the end times? Am I living in the end times? Man, it's, I mean, they got the money to build the temple. There's a political platform over there to read. I mean, boy, it sure feels like it. You know what? Every generation has felt like they were living in the last days. Can you imagine, have been alive when Jesus was there? You hear it out of his mouth, and he says, when they set up that idol that causes desecration in the temple, and then seven years later that idol shows up, you're probably thinking, this is it. This is it. That dude's the Antichrist. Only seven years, Jesus? Can you imagine when Hitler came on the scene? He came, guess what? He came out of the old Roman Empire. And he starts to talk of wars and rumors of wars and starts to expand what became that old Roman Empire. And he starts to massively persecute and kill Jews. You don't think people were going, this is it. Hitler's the Antichrist. I remember being a kid. And it was this week, because we always tell them, we gather in our deer cabin. And I remember one day they were all upset around me. And I was just a kid. And I remember my granddad was talking. And they were talking about these end times. And my dad was there. And my uncle was there. And some of my cousins were there. And my granddad was saying, listen, I had just heard a guy. And my granddad was saying, I fully believe that 1980 is the year that Jesus is coming back. That didn't happen. It's been a hot minute. I won't say who, but I remember a prominent preacher. In the 90s, he had done the math. He had showed us, like, here's why I believe this. And he said that 2000 is going to be the year that Jesus comes back. And the computers are all going to crash and the world's going to be. And then somebody's going to step up on the scene. In the year 2000, that's going to be the year that Jesus comes back. He only missed it by 23 years. Jesus said, listen, don't, don't get caught up. It's fun to talk about, but go your way. Go your way. Be a person of the word. Be a person of prayer. Go your way. Am I living in the last days? I have no idea. But I know this. I'm living in my last days. Some of you really in your last days. I'm 48. If I got another 40 in me, I will be D-U-N done. I'll just be a grumpy 88-year-old filterless man and just say whatever pops into my head. It will not be good. You know why? Is what my granddad was. I know there comes an appointed time. And it can be... Or it can be I close my eyes and I breathe my last breath and I open them and I see the face of Jesus. You ready? I love what Peter says. Listen, he's like, some of y'all getting impatient. I sometimes get like, Lord, please do not make us go through another presidential election. If you could just come back, that'd be amazing, Jesus. Why don't you be our president, Jesus? Second Peter says this, the Lord's not slow. Some of you think he's being slow. Like he's up there just, oh, I forgot to get the kids. being patient for your sake. He wants that none should perish. He doesn't want 
anybody to mistake it. I'm telling you, there's an eternal judgment that's coming for those that rejected the message of Jesus. And Jesus, I think Jesus is excited. That's his pride. And God's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, Jesus. Hold on. But the trumpet dude's over here and he's warm. No, 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 hold on. I'm waiting for one more to get saved. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for it. And Jesus, if we, if, if we wait today, think about how many people are going to get saved in churches across the world. He's not dilly-dallying up there. He's waiting so that one more person might be saved. He don't want you to miss it. I don't care what you see on Fox 6, Heaven is real, and hell is real. And Jesus has given you a simple, plain way to make sure you spend eternity in paradise. It's not complicated. It's not hard. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to try to go to church three or four weeks, give a little bit. It's not built that way. The Bible says that all of us have made mistakes. Everybody made mistakes. wages of all those mistakes, the consequence of sin is death. Both a physical death in this life, but there's also a spiritual death. Heaven and hell are real. And while you were dead in that sin, while you were stuck in all those mistakes, the Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to shed his blood on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll shed my blood. And he died of brutal crucifixion on the cross and his shed was blood his blood was shed so that you might have a chance and here, here it is you don't have to say a magic chant you don't have to give a bunch of money it said if you'll confess with your mouth that jesus is the way the truth and the life if you'll confess with your mouth that jesus is your lord and then believe it in your heart and I don't mean just say some prayer and do it to make mama happy. I mean you truly, genuinely believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is that important? Because it means Jesus truly was the Son of God. He's the only person that could pay for your sins. And if you'll believe that, then you will be saved. Not maybe, not might, not can. You will be saved. Have you ever confessed and believed? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I'm going to lead you in this simple prayer. And it's, it's not about the magic words. It's not a chant. It's just the best way I know how to confess and believe. Nobody moving around. Nobody getting up. Just give me just one more minute. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you know you're not ready for that trumpet to blow, you know you're not ready for your eyes to close and open into eternity. Today is your day. I invite you right there at your seat just to confess and believe with this simple prayer. You ready? Just say this with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Right there. Just pray, Dear Heavenly Father. I come to you today because I need you. Oh, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I don't want that life anymore. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you save me? Begin to change me? Make me a new person? Today, Jesus,
totally changed my life. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.